You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Good morning, everyone. It's such a pleasure to be here uh, preaching again. I have to say I felt super rusty preparing the sermons being over a year since the last time that I preached, but it's been such an amazing series. This is such an amazing passage in the Bible uh, that I'm really glad that I have the opportunity to share a little bit of what God has spoken to me as well uh, through this these studies. So just to get everyone up to speed where we are uh, in our sermon series, we are going over the Beatitudes, which are the opening portion of Jesus' most famous, ser- most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is explaining to his uh, hearers, who is the fortunate person? Who, who are the lucky ones? Who are the people who really got it in life? People who we can look, look up to and desire to have a similar life. And what he said was super counterintuitive back then, but they still are super counterintuitive to us as well. So all the more worthy of us diving deeply and spending as much time as we can uh, with them. And today we're going to read the next beatitude, which is in Matthew 5 verse 8 that says, Blessed are the pure in heart, because they shall shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall shall see God. Now, before we, um, you know, unpack what that means, let's start by just understanding the words a little bit. Um, because what we mean by heart nowadays, it's a little different from what they meant by heart back then. Uh, the ancient Jews, the ancient Greeks, they thought or they saw the heart as the center of our entire being. So today we speak of heart as, you know, the place where we have our emotions and feelings. So we can speak of things such as head versus heart. But back then, there was no such a thing because everything resided in the heart. It was with the heart that we think, with the heart that we feel, with the heart that we desire, and with the heart we choose as well. So our will, our emotions, our loves, our reasoning, all of that resided in the heart. So this is what Jesus is meaning by saying pure in heart. It's purity in all of those things, not only in how we feel and our emotions. And the thing about the heart is that all these things can be hidden from the outside. We can live in such a way where we show something to the outside world, but our heart remains hidden from others and sometimes even hidden from ourselves. And all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is criticizing those who have a certain life that, you know, show to the other people a certain kind of life, but inside they are very different. So not only the Beatitudes, but if you continue to read that sermon, all the time Jesus is criticizing this kind of external religiosity, a religion of performance, but with an untransformed heart. And this is also true about this verse, because in those days, again, they had the law of Moses that, um, that, told them that before they could approach the presence of God that dwelt in the temple, for them to approach the temple, they had to be ritually clean. So they had to go through certain ritual washings. They had they couldn't touch something unclean. They couldn't have skin diseases. If they had, they had to get healed first, wait for some days. So there was a lot of rituals uh, that made someone ready for the presence of God. And of course, when God gave that law through Moses, he intended that to be an outward manifestation of something that was real, 
in their entire being, but they took it to be just like a performance thing, that as long as they had the washing, no disease, not touching anything unclean, they could get to the presence of God. And what Jesus is saying is that it's not those who are ritually clean that will get to be, to have the closest experience to God, but those who are pure in heart. They will get so close that they will see God. So this is basically what he is criticizing here and what he's pointing towards. But it's important for us then to um, unpack this further because if purity is not just a matter of performance, what does it mean then to be pure in heart? What do we usually mean by the word pure? You know, if we say that someone is pure or when we use the word purity nowadays, it's usually again about behavior. It's about behaving purely and having, you know, being um, pure in our actions. Um, so when we speak of purity in heart, we usually mean, what we mean is not just being without sin, but something much deeper. It's a purity of our loves, our desires, our choices, because those eventually will also direct our thoughts and feelings. So what is a pure heart like? What is it that we should be aiming towards? And I want to start with this, that a pure heart is honest about its loves. Before we go into the next couple of points, I just want to start with this one, because we need to be really open and honest and sincere about the things that we love and the things that we desire. And to me, I think the greatest inspiration to me uh, when it comes to that honesty of loves is the early church father, Augustine of Hippo. And in his book, Confessions, he looks back uh, in his life and he sees in many episodes how his loves were out of place. And reflecting upon the time when he left his small town to go to a big city of Carthage um, while still young to live on his own, he said this about the condition of his heart. I did not yet love, but I loved to love. And out of a deep-seated want, I hated myself that I did not want. I looked around for something to love, in love with the idea of loving, despising a safe way without snares. What he's saying is that you know, it wasn't so much about the objects of love, you know, of the pursuits, but I love the idea of craving. I, I needed to crave for something, and I hated myself when I didn't crave for something. There was something really sick about my heart that, you know, I could fool myself and say, no, I really love this thing, when actually what I love is the pursuit, is the craving, is the even the bondage and the need that I feel for that thing. So we need to be that honest that level about our loves if we are to be pure in heart. The Christian philosopher James Smith uh, says this about discipleship. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. It's about stepping back, looking at the things that you love, and then making decisions, making judgments about those loves that you find in your heart. And that's what discipleship consists of is directing, rejecting, rejecting some loves, bringing on some loves, uh, diminishing some, increasing others, but being very honest about them and directing our loves to what we know they should be like. But do we? Do we know what our loves should look like in our heart? Even if we are that honest and that, that open about our desires, how do we choose them? What What is the blueprint of our hearts that we should follow? And I want to propose the followed definition of purity of heart, that we need to choose our desires so that our heart is single-minded. A pure heart is 
single-minded. And I take this from uh, James chapter 4, verse 8, where the Apostle James in his letter says the following, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And the Greek word here for double-minded, uh, dipsukos, means of having two souls, having two minds, having two selves or two lives. That's what it means to be double-minded. So what James is saying is that those who need to be purified in their hearts are those who are currently divided. Those whose hearts, whose, whose lives, whose very souls are divided and do not love a single thing. And this is what took the Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard to put it this way. And he has an entire book with this title. Purity of love, sorry, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. So what is a state, a pure state of your heart is when you just will one thing. An impure heart is one that is divided among many loves. One that is, whose loves are in competition, who pursues too many things. But a pure heart pursues only one thing. And then, of course, you might ask, does it matter what that one thing is? As long as we pursue one thing, is that purity? Um, you know, in that book of Kierkegaard, he actually explores in the ways in which all the, th all the usual things that we pursue, they cannot be the one thing. Because if we pursue pleasure, pleasure is never one thing, but a multiplicity of things. Honor is ne never enough. Wealth is never one thing. So all these things that we usually pursue on earth, all of them fail to be the one thing that if we love them, we can truly and honestly say that we love only one thing. By pursuing those, you're always divided. Our desires always in competition. The only thing get, that can truly be the object of a love that directs and harmonizes a whole life is God. By being constant, by being always himself, and by being all-encompassing, by loving God, we can truly say that we love only one thing and that our hearts are pure. But then I might hear you ask, but is it really the case that we can only love God? Because even Jesus himself said that the two greatest commandments are to love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So there are at least three things that you need to love. God, your neighbor, and yourself, right? So how can it be that pure love cannot love anything but God? But that's not, that's not exactly what it means to love only God and pursue only God. Because when we truly love God within our entire being, when we can say that it is only God that we love, that love contains and covers every other love in our life that finds a place in it. In a way that everything that we pursue, we pursue also as a way towards God and towards that love. Now, I, I know this can be a little abstract, so um, I have some pictures to help us understand uh, the point that I'm trying to make. And usually this is how I sort of also think about my own journey of understanding my loves and my maturity as I grow in my understanding of my own heart. And I think the first stage or the simplest way that you can do it with your own heart is to think about your loves as within bounds and out of bounds. So, you know, as in a game of tennis or in a game of basketball or volleyball, you have clear boundaries and the ball needs to fall within for you to score a point. And this is usually the way, the first way in which we think about our loves. There are things that are clearly forbidden in the Bible, so out of bounds. And things that are commanded in the Bible, so within bounds. Things that the Bible doesn't speak about, so maybe within bounds because it's not forbidden. So 
all our, our effort and energy goes into trying to figure out whether a love, a pursuit, a desire falls within bounds or out of bounds. Because out of bounds should be rejected. We pray to leave those behind and anything else is fair game, right? But that cannot be enough because even if we, you know, we manage to clearly separate all loves and pursuits into within bounds and out of bounds. And we all know how difficult that is because there are things that are very much, you know, near the line. So what do we do with those? Even if that were not a problem, what do we do with those who are within the bounds? Does it, does it matter how much you love each of those things? Does it matter how you organize those loves and pursuits that clearly fall within the boundaries of what is permitted, what is allowed? You know, that's usually the words that we say. So clearly not, because we can love a good thing out of place, right? We can love those too much, and the ones that we need to love more, we love too little. So the next stage is usually to think of our hearts a little bit like a pie chart. You know, our heart needs to contain all of these loves, and we think that as long as I prioritize the right things, that, that means that my heart is in the right place. So if I give the biggest slice of that pie to God, then I have that covered good. Then the next biggest slice is probably my family. And then after that, I can probably fit in my work or my hobbies and all the things that interest me. And as long as I keep, keep things in that order, things should be fine. You know, love what it, you need to love the most first and then so on and so forth. But I also think that that's not yet enough and not yet, you know, the picture of a pure heart because if that's our heart, then it means that our loves are still in competition. Which means that if we want to increase the slice of pie that we give to our family, something else will have to suffer. Might It might be work or hobbies or maybe our love for God because our hearts are finite in that way. So as long as we think of loves simply as a matter of priority, it doesn't mean that they are not competing anymore. And you can also imagine this picture of the, the, the pie chart that... Um, if purity of heart is to love only one thing and that thing is God, then there is no, no amount of that pie left to my family or work or anything else, right? So I couldn't pursue anything else. So that's why it helps. You know, it's a step forward from just the within bounds out of bounds. Uh, but it doesn't yet, I think, illustrate what a pure uh, heart is with loves in harmony. So I'd like to propose a third picture, one that has helped me also understand my loves better. And that is the picture of a tree. If our hearts are like a tree, the roots and the trunk are supposed to be our love for God. Because it is out of that love that every other love, pursuit and interest in our lives springs from. It is the origin of everything that we love, everything that we pursue and desire. And not only they find you know, their origin and their source in our love for God, but they feed back to that love. They strengthen that love. As we pursue those things, we also get closer to God. And we can, so this picture actually contains the other ones, because if we think of our heart as that tree, right, where our love for God is, is the origin, is the centerpiece, it's what holds everything together, we eventually see that there are things in our lives that just don't fit the tree. Right, which is our usually what we call the out of bounds, because we wouldn't find a place for that in our love for God. And also, it, it gives us that idea of priority of loves, because you know the tree cannot stand on one of its branches. So if we try to make our love of family or our love of work 
the centerpiece or like the thing that supports the tree. It's going to buckle and break under the pressure. Only our love for God can be the uniting love, the motivating love of everything that we pursue. But it takes a lot of honesty. It takes a lot of honesty to look at our loves and think, does it really have a place in my life? You know, things, think about something that you really work towards. You know, something that motivates you to go to work and put energy into. Can you honestly say about that one thing? That you do it because you love God. That it, it is because of you pursue God that you're pursuing that thing. And can you also say of that thing that as you draw closer to that, you also draw closer to God. That as you spend energy on that, you're also strengthening your love for God. And you will see that, you know, we move a lot beyond the, the, the talk of, is it a sin? Is it not a sin? Is it, is it is more about, does it have a place in my life? You know, the Apostle Paul says, everything is permissible. And if that's a picture that we have, then that's true, because not everything will find a place in our lives. Of course, everything that is a sin doesn't have a place on that tree. But also a lot of things that are not sin, we'll find that they neither come from our love for God and neither direct us to God. And in that sense, our hearts remain double-minded, dipsukos, divided in competition and not in a state of being pure. And I think this is what's behind also what Paul says in Philippians um, chapter 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And remember, it is with the heart that we think, you know, for these authors. If we draw ourselves to these things, we are drawing ourselves closer to God because God is the origin of all that is true and beautiful and good. And by pursuing those, we also pursue uh, God in a sense. So in that sense, a pure heart is a heart that pursues only God and everything as a way of pursuing God. But there is a little more to this verse as well. Because there is a second part that says that it is those who have a pure heart that will see God. And of course, we've seen already, you know, Part of that meaning that Jesus is criticizing that external religiosity that you had to be ritually clean to access the temple where the presence of God dwelt. And he's saying that it is that kind of purity in our loves that actually get us to uh, get close to God. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus is using the picture of seeing God here because our loves are intimately connected to our eyes as well. And we have a few verses in the Bible that help us see that connection. The first one being 1 John 2.16, uh, where the Apostle John says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So there are desires that, as you can see, they come from the use that we make of our eyes. In the very same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus he speaks in uh, chapter 5, verse 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Because the eye can be that powerful. The eye can direct our being away from God and towards sin. But most importantly, and still in the Sermon on the Mount, I think, is chapter 6, verse 22. Because Jesus says the following, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But the Greek word for healthy is actually haplos, which means single. 
And that's what the King James Version translates at as. It says, if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. But what does it mean to have a single eye? Does it mean that you only have one because you lost one of them? It means that you only have eyes for one thing. And that's because what we look at, what we give our attention to, are the things that we end up pursuing and loving. So there is a very close connection between having eye for one thing and having a pure heart that is not double-minded, but single-minded in its pursuit of God. We need to think of our heart. I mean, I've, I've been using the picture of the tree, but also in a sense as a garden, because the things that we look at are the seeds that we plant, the things that we give our attention to. We might not love them a lot today, but as we give our attention to those things, the more and more we'll be directed towards them. Our right loves begin by, by, begin with us giving the right attention to the right things. You know, very often we think that in the battle with temptation, the battle, the battle is won or lost at the peak of the temptation. You know, this desire is the strongest. That's when we make a stand and then we either resist it or we crumble when we fall into sin. When actually the battle can be won or lost by planting or not planting that seed. You know, by doing something that might be very innocent at the time, but by giving our attention, by looking, by thinking about those things, we are planting seeds that will eventually grow into, you know, full-grown and mature desires, and that's what we have to contest with later on. But if we need to curate our loves, if that's what discipleship, discipleship consists in, then we need to curate what we look at, what we give our attention to what we bring before our eyes, because those are the seeds of desire. Those are the things that will grow, and they might not grow out of our love for God. They might be like weeds in our heart. They might be in competition with that tree, which is our love for God. And not only that, but the second part of the verse, it gives you know, a whole new meaning to that promise, that the pure in heart will see God. Because if the pure in heart are those who love only one thing and love God and everything as a way to move towards God, then it is those who will satisfy their single eye, the eye that only has eyes for God. Those people who desire God with their whole beings, they will be satisfied. They will see God fulfill all our loves, fulfill their love for God and all our loves because they're all contained in their love for God. So this can be a little thin, you know, like thin air that we breathe of theory. How does it impact our everyday lives? So I want to suggest three things that we can think about and we can do in light of this uh, passage about purity of heart. And the first one, which is uh, something that, you know, I think it's a step towards that period of heart, is to take inventory of your loves. To be truly honest about what you love, what you pursue, to be able to ask yourself, what am I working towards in life? And does it come from my love for God? And does it strengthen my love for God? Does it bring me closer to God? And do that in the presence of God. We can sing with the psalmist, uh, Psalm 139, that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Remember, the thoughts and the heart are um, in the same place for these authors. Invite God into your heart and say, you know, bring it all to the open. 
help me see what I love. If it is really what I'm telling myself that I love, or is it something else that I love? Is that love coming out of my love from you, for you? Or is it in competition? Does this pursuit me, bring me also closer to you? Or does it get in the way of my pursuit of you? Oh God. The second thing is take note of your eyes. If the eyes are that closely connected and that intimately related to our loves, take very close note of what you look at, of what you give your attention to, what you spend time thinking about and looking at. And again, we can go to the Psalms and say with the author of Psalm 101, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. You know, we think again, the purity is about just shutting sin away. So everything that's out of bounds, that's what we leave outside. You know what? Let's leave outside anything that's worthless. Because those are seeds of worthless pursuits as well. But finally, and most importantly, we need to take our loves to Christ. And this is probably the most important point of this sermon, but I want to finish here, not start here, because if we start by saying that we need to, you know, ask God for help and bring them to Christ, but we don't know yet where we're looking for, then we might be still stuck on that picture of the tennis ball and think that all that we need to ask God for is to help us classify everything into within bounds and out of bounds so that we are sure that we are not stepping outside. And yet we can do that and our heart's still a mess. So what is it that we mean by taking our loves to Christ? First of all, is to remember that our love for God is motivated for what Christ did for us. As John says in his, his first letter, we love, why? Because he first loved us. If there is a reason for us to have the tree being our love for God, the roots and the trunks that organizes our entire lives around him, is because he loved us. And how do we know that? Because of Jesus Christ, because of what, what he did at the cross how he came down to save us, to suffer in our place, to rescue us, reconcile us to him. That display of love is what motivates us to pursue that picture of a pure heart that pursues only God. And not only that, but it's by faith in Christ that also we can accomplish that um, pure heart. The Apostle Paul, in one of his preachings in the book of Acts, in Acts 15, he says the following, and he's speaking here about the Gentiles um, uh, and how they were included in God's promises and, and also reached by the gospel. He's saying, and God who knows the heart, that word again, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, having cleansed their hearts by faith. What is it that purified the hearts of those who did not know God, but heard the message and came to know God through Christ and be saved? It was faith in Christ. That was what accomplished that purification. So it is by bringing our loves to God, by centering our lives around what God did for us in Christ, and by having faith in Him, that we can organize our life, all our loves and pursuits around our pursuit of God. So that all belongs to God. So there is nothing in our lives that doesn't belong to God, that doesn't fall under the Lordship of Christ. So that we will also be recipients of that promise. And that we will see God and have not only our love for God deeply and completely fulfilled, but all our loves fulfilled in Him as well. Amen.
I hope you all have a good week and God bless you. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.